Hello, Freedom Pack family. Welcome back to episode 50. What an unbelievable journey has been. And I promise you, we're only just getting started. For everybody that has listened, supported, interacted, we are eternally grateful. And we couldn't have picked a better and more supportive group of people to share this journey with. We are every bit as invested in yours as you are in ours. So please stick around because I assure you that things are growing fast. On today's episode, we are joined by American war hero, best-selling author and previous star from the hit show Dancing with the Stars, Noah Galloway. After no witness 9-11 happened, he felt so passionately about it that he immediately, like straight away, dropped out of college and headed straight towards the front lines. It was during his second deployment that his Humvee caught a tripwire and blew his vehicle up, leaving him within inches of his life. The aftermath of this explosion saw Noah as an amputee losing his left arm and his left leg. But overcoming the loss of two limbs wasn't the only issue that Noah has had to deal with. Since returning home from war, Noah has done multiple rounds in the ring with depression, which he speaks so openly and bravely about. On top of this, he's spent 10 days in a county jail for a DUI. He's had a marriage dissolved. So he really has struggled in his life. There's there's no question that he's built up so much resilience. And this is exactly why we wanted to speak to him. But Noah, what really sets him apart in our eyes and why we really wanted to get him on the show was that these setbacks, Noah was determined to not let this be his life. He completely reinvented himself and he found solace in fitness. Noah decided to change his life and since he made that decision, he's run marathons, tough mudders, featured on the cover of Men's Health, appeared on Ellen, the Today Show, and he scored a third place finish on Dancing with the Stars. Just crazy, right? We were so intrigued by Noah's story that we wanted to find out what drives him. How has he managed depression? What can we do to reframe a negative setback? Which I assure you is a huge component of success. Is a theme that we see all the time. So, as always, if you enjoyed the show, all that we ask from you is that you please leave us a rating and review. It helps us so much with the visibility of the show. And if you want to reach out to us to talk, to ask us anything, if you're struggling with anything in your life, please send us an email, freedompact at gmail.com. It will be linked below. We love hearing from you guys and we read every email. Without any further ado, Noah Galloway, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Thank you so much for having me on. There was a, a quote I heard um, that you said that I wanted to start off with, and I, I wanted to get your thoughts and, and your emotions when you listen to this quote. You said that it wasn't the loss of my limbs that bothered me. It was that I was very physical, and I was wondering if I'll ever be able to do that again. Yes, I, re- I remember having those thoughts, and I don't know exactly where I said that, but I know I used to say that a lot, because it was. I, you know, everything I did, whether it was, you know, as a teenager growing up, I, I always did manual labor as uh, work. You worked in a plant, did construction, and then in the military, I was an infantry soldier, so I was right up front. So it was. That was a huge blow to me, and I worried about it. I found that that was something I never needed to worry about. If we just stick with physical fitness. There's a quote here which Lewis and I, we both 
absolutely love and we'd love to get your take on this and we'd love to know when i read this quote out to you how important would you say that fitness in general the endorphins the actual exercise process has been and the quote is i was close to going door to door and asking people if they'd accepted fitness into their life (laughs) (laughs) that's you know that that was to a t who i was once i guess fitness was always important to me but it was just part of who i was and then i didn't realize after i was injured and i was i went through a lot of depression that getting back out getting you know not sitting around doing nothing taking care of myself i became a better person a better father and it was it became it was a religion to me you know the the gym was my church that's where i went and it it made it such a dramatic positive change in my life and that's why i've always used that quote i always say that because it was so important to me and it continues to be important to me now i have you know i'm I'm no different than anyone else i have my my time that you know, I may get busy with work and I'm not doing as much fitness as I usually do, but it never leaves my mind that I'm like, okay, I got to get back into making sure I'm taking care of myself, especially with my injuries. I've got, I mean, would be the body is not designed to do things with one arm and one leg. So, I mean, my body's taking a toll and the only way I'm going to make sure that I have the best life I can, even in older age is by taking care of myself now. As you said, but you've always been, very physical was it this love of physical training that prompted you to join the military well so i was in college when 9 11 happened and when that happened and i saw that on the i was actually i slept in that morning i didn't have class that day and i got a phone call from my friend justin who said turn the tv on he didn't have to say what station and i turned it on and it was that one twin tower burning and and the newscasters talking about pilot error and we're all worried about the people in the building and then i watched with the rest of the world as that second plane hit i remember the screams next to the cameraman and i watched for as long as i could and then i just never went back to school i went to the recruiter and i have an uncle who is a paratrooper in vietnam and he always told me when i was younger if i ever went in the military tell them i want airborne infantry so i'm right up front so that's what I did. And it couldn't have been a better decision for me to make because I was the happiest being out in the action with the locals. And because I was physically fit and that's what I loved, I fit into that world perfectly. Would you say that the quest for finding purpose was involved in your decision to join the military? Oh, without a You know, I at the time it was... There was going to be a war. There was going to be, you know, we were going to retaliate against this attack. And I just wanted to be part of it. But once I got in the military and I deployed, and I always tell people, put the politics aside, whether we should or shouldn't have went to Iraq. Don't worry about it when you're, I mean, you could talk to anybody, whether it's, you know, soldiers in the UK or here, anywhere. When you're in combat, politics don't matter. Where you are doesn't matter. You're in that moment with your, the men and women to your left and your right. And that's where you are. And I loved it because the men I served with, I have just immense respect for. And I couldn't have been with a better group of men. And it did. It gave me purpose. I loved being in Iraq and getting to know the locals and working with them. So it was, yes, purpose driven was so critical. And it it took me a while in my depression to get back into that. And I get, we always hear that. We've all heard the different motivational speakers, whatever it is, the purpose driven life. You always have to have a purpose. And that's true. You have to at least have a good idea of where you're going in life or you're lost. When you talk about 9-11, Lewis and I, we, we're, we're in the UK. This is where we operate out of. And I can remember exactly where I was. I was in year two at the time. So I must have been, how old are you in year two? Uh, we would have been about maybe like five. Yeah, five or six. And uh, I remember they called us all into this room and they were talking to us about what happened i can still remember it clearly to this day so i wonder you know you're 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 in college at this time what emotions did that strike into you anger anger it was you know and it wasn't i mean it sounds any every time i've sat and looked back on it 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 was this anger 
you know, yeah, there was talk of who could have been behind it, but it's just, there was this mass destruction and this, you know, the amount of people that lost their lives and how it affected everything was so traumatic. And, you know, I'm in Alabama. I am a good 12 to 15 hours away from New York, but it was enough to impact me that I think it would have affected me no matter what. If something like this would have happened, you know, in the UK, it was just so, so horrendous that it, it, it angered me. That was the emotion that came from it. Just pure anger. I heard in an interview you did that um, when you heard the news, the first thing you did was you went for a run. Why yes. do you think that was? Uh, I think to clear my head. Because, you know, when, you know, emotions, we, we don't want to act on pure emotions. You want to take a step back. I mean, I do that today as a parent with my kids. I mean, they they piss me off uh, pretty regularly, <laughs> but I take a step back and, 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 you know, and evaluate the situation. So when that happened, yeah, you know, I had all this anger and I went for a run and I have no idea how far I, ran. I was just running. And it was on that run that I decided I'm not going back to college, that I am going in the military. This is, this isn't about a, a career I was going to get into. It was just me wanting to serve my country and to do something good that had been affected by something so bad. You're around, well, like 18, 19 at this, po- at this point? I was, I think I was, I see, September, I was 19. I turned 20 that October. You're 19 at this point, and as soon as you make that decision to go, were you prepared to die at that point? I, you know, I tell people all the time, that you know, I went on the two deployments, and yes, every time I went, I didn't expect to come home. My will was taken care of everything. My second appointment was when I, the first time I had a child I was leaving behind. And I remember sitting in a parking lot, writing a letter to him that would be sealed. And if I didn't come back, he would have something from me. And I will admit, I cried like a baby writing that letter, but it was, it was this acceptance that I'm going to go to go and I may never return. And I feel like as a young soldier, in the infantry or wherever, whatever your job is, have accepting that death is a possibility makes you a better soldier. Because then, you know, yeah, I'm not taking risks that aren't necessary, but I'm also not holding back. Uh, but I, I, I will point out now that, you know, I'm 37, be 38 this October. I have three children. I'm in a different place in my life. I don't, you know, I still, I don't think that I would just back down, you know, too easily, but I don't, I'm not trying to go purposely go somewhere and lose my life and i think that's where you know a lot of your lower ranking soldiers that are right out in the front lines they are younger and they have that and you know i look at it now that i'm glad i had that at that time but you know you you transition in life you're different places but at that time yes it was me i was going to combat and if it cost me my life i was willing to pay that debt two things that you just said but it which really caught my attention so the first one is that you're 19 and you're willing to to die for a purpose bigger than yourselves for your country and now you're 37 and you want to stay alive for your children so in yeah. both now, when things- i said like when i say that it's not that i wouldn't if the offer came up and i had mm-hmm. to go somewhere in harm's way i wouldn't say i wouldn't do it but my uh, sense of adventure slightly changes Change. with age yeah in both instances there are wise that are bigger than yourself so you've got a you're being driven by different purposes but in both cases you're being driven by a purpose i just wonder when you felt that depression do you feel that there was an absence of a purpose oh without a doubt i was not i I mean like i never was you know i i never was suicidal uh, I do remember wishing I would have died in combat instead of waking up with these injuries because um, that's it just I was in such a bad place and so unhappy. I wasn't going to do it, but I wish it would have went differently. But it was actually my children that changed that for me. Um, I walked into the living room one day and my three children were sitting on the couch. They were very young. And I realized to my two boys, I was showing them what a man is. And that's what they're going to become one day. And to my little girl, showing her how a man's supposed to act. And that's what she was on look for one day. And the person I was at that time, I did not want my boys to be. And I would never want my, my little girl to grow up and, and find someone like that. So they became my reason to get better 
and get out of that darkness, get help, you know, see a doctor. And then the fitness, I tell people all the time, you don't have to be this incredible athlete that's doing these crazy races. But if you're not taking care of yourself, you cannot take care of someone, someone else. And, you know, even like when someone has, you know, we all have bad habits, but I've talked to people that smoke and I'm like, you know, you should probably cut that out. They're like, well, you got to die of something, but I love to remind them. Yeah. But what if you don't die, but in your older age, your children have to give up their dreams to take care of you. And people don't think of that. But when you say it, you see it hit them like a ton of bricks and they realize that you have to think about someone else before you get too selfish. In the midst of depression, I was speaking to an ex-Special Forces soldier on this podcast a few weeks ago, um, and we were talking about depression uh, among soldiers, and he said a big factor of it when you come out of the military is a loss of identity and, and a loss of who you are. Is that something you struggled with at all? Yes, and I'll tell you, um, after coming out of the depression, I've been able to meet a lot of different people with different backgrounds. And I found that that's not only common with the military, but it can be common with like football players. Uh, NFL football players have a very high suicide rate. I mean, if you imagine a guy who from the age of eight years old until their late 20s, early 30s, they've played the same sport and they've experienced what it's like to play in front of thousands of people and on national television. Then all of a sudden they retire and people always wonder, well, how can they be depressed? They have all this money. Money means nothing when it comes to true happiness. And when we lose our identity, we feel lost. I was speaking at a conference one year in, in Chicago at this medical conference, and I pointed to a guy in the front row, and I said, what do you do for a living? And he was a, a surgeon. And I said, what if you woke up tomorrow and you could not be a surgeon anymore? What's your backup plan? What is plan B? And his eyes got real big, and he's like, I don't know. I said, you don't think that if you couldn't do your job and it all of a sudden was taken from you, you wouldn't suffer from depression? He said, exactly. And that's what happens to a lot of military. It's not just injuries. You know, you get out, you know, whether things change in your life, whatever it is, but we get out or retire after 20 plus years and we lose that identity and it becomes very difficult. And that's where I stress when I speak to veterans, I always remind them, be proud of where you come from, the uniform you wore, but that's a chapter in your life. Don't live in the past. Me, I'm several chapters past it. And I feel like once I discovered that, life became much easier and I didn't lose and I was able to find my identity again. It's so interesting you talk about purpose because for myself, that having no purpose, no mission, no drive, that's like hell on earth for me. Mm-hmm. That's yes. like waking up late, sleeping in late. And as you were talking about I I, I was just thinking that there must be an abundance of people out there that go through their lives not having anything bigger than themselves to push themselves or to get out of bed for in the morning. And exactly. even in cases like yours where you said you, you were literally willing to die for it, you know, and that's such a powerful, such a powerful force. And you find meaning, you find identity through that. Oh, you know, I, you know, on that, you know, I get crazy looks from people when I tell them, Some of the happiest moments in my life revolve around being deployed, you know, in a combat zone, living with the locals, a very dangerous area. And it's not just because of the danger. It's because I did. I felt like I had a purpose and that you're you're right on the money that if you don't have a purpose. But when you do, you know, you can find real happiness no matter how shitty the situation is. (laughs) <laughs> didn't you even tell your wife one year that when it was christmas time that something like you didn't want to go home to see her or something like this for christmas i didn't t- i told her <laughs> I, I lied to her and told her that i was too low on the totem pole and i didn't have the option to come home and she never knew uh until i wrote my book <laughs> that i chose to stay there it was nothing against her you know but i didn't want to leave <laughs> it's crazy man so so just thinking about that mission that purpose what can the person that's doing right now that maybe they haven't found their mission they drive their purpose what can they do to take that first step towards finding it well you know i was actually talking to a good friend of mine the other day that was going through he's going through some depression uh he's finally decided to get into better shape but he went through a tough breakup Um, and I told him, I said, listen, you need to sit down 
and find what's, you know, if you just take the time to think, okay, what's important to me? And what do I want out of my life? What, what goals do I want to set? And once we make those goals, well, then you can plan your life around it. Like me, my main objective is to be the best father I can be. And so my kids, whenever something, whether it's an offer to go on a TV show, whatever it is to work with an organization, I ask myself the same two questions. How's it going to affect my children and what lessons is it going to teach them? And if either one of those are negative, I walk away from it. So I, and I tell people, I'm like, look, you may not have kids. They may, you know, so that's not, but there's nothing wrong with saying, Hey, you know what? I want to own a Ferrari one day. Well then make that your goal and do whatever it takes to make that happen. And that'll drive you in, in business. You know, if, if your fitness goals, you know, whatever it is, you have to have that and then make it something that you think about every day because in life we we come across obstacles all the time and too often we as humans will come across an obstacle and just decide you know what this is as far as i'm going in life but when you have something bigger than you that you want that is more important than your fear then you will find a way over under around or through that obstacle and for me it's the children and i always tell people sit and think about what those things are and that's going to drive you in life. Definite lesson there. Got to find something bigger than yourself. But there's something that has, that I've been thinking about for the last few minutes that I just can't get off my mind. So you're 19 and you've made a will. What does a 19 year old? What does a 19 year old have? <laughs> yeah, to do with? the some wheel wasn't that long. <laughs> <laughs> It's basically saying who's going to get stuck with things I owe money on. <laughs> <laughs> So you talked about, you know, the passion you felt doing that first deployment and um, your initial deployment in Iraq, you described as the most exciting thing you'd ever done. And you were just itching for that second deployment. Things happened doing that that, that have led you to where you are today. I was just wondering for the listeners who may not have come across your work or your story before, could we maybe recount those events? Yeah. So, I mean, like I mentioned, I'd joined the military because of 9-11 and then was in the invasion of Iraq in 03. And then that second deployment, we were in southwest Baghdad, an area known as the Triangle of Death. And, you know, because of the great, because of technology and the training that we have and, you know, medics have, and then the hospitals, we have a lot more men and women that have come out of Iraq and Afghanistan surviving, but with very extreme injuries that we would have died from in a previous war. So that's incredible. But I was on a deployment that we were losing men. Uh, within the first week, we lost several guys and it just never seemed to end. So it never crossed my mind that I could wake up one day in a hospital. I thought I was either going to leave that deployment and come back on another and just keep doing that, or I was going to die one day. And then one day I woke up clueless to what happened in a hospital being told that I'd lost my left arm above the elbow, my left leg above the knee. I had severe injuries to my right leg, to my right hand. My jaw was shattered, so my mouth was wired shut. And I didn't even know how I got there. I had to be told that late one night, five days prior to me waking up in the hospital, that I was driving an armored Humvee and I hit a tripwire and an explosion that was powerful enough that when it hit my door, it threw this 9,000-pound armored vehicle flying through the air and landed in a canal running adjacent to the road. And thankfully it landed wheels down because I was unconscious. And they said the water was up to my chest. Arm was already taken off. To wake up and be told that, I mean, you could just imagine the emotions that just ran through my head. And that's where I started to think, why didn't I just die? Why am I left here in this hospital bed with this life that in my mind was going to be useless? And of course, it took me time to realize that that was the most ignorant thing I could have thought of because my life, you know, 14 years later is incredible. The relationship I have with my kids, what I do for a living, my life could not be any better. And it's crazy to think that I was in such a dark place that I would have chosen a death over what I have now. When you wake up and you get told something like that, what emotions are going through like did you think it was a dream did like i imagine oh, it'd be hard was, to get your head around the first the first day i woke up i did i thought it was a dream i didn't even know i didn't even realize my mouth was wired shut and i thought that something was wrong and with i mean i was pretty heavy medicated but i remember 
didn't even realize my left arm wasn't there, but I pulled my right hand up and was trying to pry my mouth open because I thought something was wrong. I was in this haze. Yeah, I had no idea. And then as I was in the hospital and my, my parents came and my three sisters came to see me for a little while before they had to go back home because they had to work. But I went through so many, I, I would admit, I, you know, I'm a man that is, I like to think I'm kind of tough, but I cried like a baby several times in that hospital. I remember going to one of my many surgeries and as they're rolling me out, I grabbed my mom's arm and was crying saying, please don't let them take me. Like I was just in this, this state of confusion that I, I didn't know how to act, didn't know how to think. Do you think that a problem in this was that you had prepared yourself for death? It's not even a case of, you know, the military career hadn't worked out. It's that this incident has happened. You've lost two limbs and you're sort of stuck in between them. The middle, yes. In the the middle, middle, I was not prepared for. It scared me. It terrified me. Death wasn't wasn't scary. Uh, You know, waking up with an injury that dramatically changed my life and affected my career broke me down because I tell people I I would love to have my arm and leg back you know but it was losing because like I said I didn't go into the military thinking of it as a career but once I got there I loved it this was going this was my career it was career or death and suddenly neither one of those happened and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life my purpose was gone your family came to see you what was the reaction from them? What, what was it like for you as well the first time that you saw them? Very supportive. I tell people all the time that a big part of my recovery and getting to where I am today is because of I come from a family that we're very close. Me and my three sisters, my parents are still around. And that family support system. And I've talked to other experts and they said usually someone that has something traumatic happen to them, the closer their family support or their friend support is, the more likely they are to have success. So it's never good to block people out. Our family, our friends are important. And just like I would be there for anything that would happen to them, they were there for me. And that, you know, they didn't fix my depression immediately, but them just being there for me was enough that when I decided to get help and to move on, they were there supporting me every way, every step of the way. You've mentioned that one of the early stages of depression you went through was a stage of denial. And I wonder to what extent that was and what is the process um, behind getting over that? I was in denial the, the majority of the time in my depression. Uh, I didn't realize how bad it was until I came out of my depression. And now I'm able to look back. And I and, and a lot of my friends have just have, have talked about it like they knew it. They knew it. And it was having them bring it up because I remember getting mad if my sister or somebody wanted to, you know, have that that talk, you know, a bit of an intervention. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm fine. You know, but it was them constantly, you know, reminding me, letting me know that something was a little off, that once I came through it, I'm glad that they were putting those little pieces of information in my head and that you know that denial i think that there are a lot of people mental health has become a big part of what i like to talk about with people when i go places because i feel like we have come a long way but we still have a long way to go nothing made me happier than the morning i woke up and i opened twitter and prince harry was discussing his depression you know with what he went through with his mother with everything and you could say what would a prince have to be worried about well, depression can affect any of us. And I was so glad that someone that is ho- so highly respected and so successful could say, hey, this is something I battle with. When Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, came out talking about it, I feel like the more people that are willing to come out and to share their experiences and, and what they've done to improve it, the better it is. Because not everyone's going to talk about it. Not everybody's as open as, as someone like I am. But if we talk about it, within well, someone out there who's going through it won't be so afraid to, to get help. Because I tell people, you know, a long time ago, getting help for mental health was looked at as weak. But I tell people that, no, sitting and letting depression take over your, your world, that's weakness. That's giving up. Getting out and getting help, seeing a professional and doing what it takes to get better, that's real strength. 
We absolutely echo that, yeah. And and we've we've said before on the show that if someone is listening to this now and they are suffering with depression or anxiety and they're sort of on the border about going to see someone that they're literally playing with their own life if yes. they don't don't choose to. So And not only their life, usually when I point out to people, you know, most of us like we like to think that nowadays people are pretty selfish. No, we, we come off that way, but deep down, I think the majority of people on this planet, they're fine destroying their own lives, but if they realize that they're affecting others, it makes them think and reevaluate. And I love to point out to people that their depression is not only making their life miserable, but it is negatively affecting those around them. And so when it comes to thinking about getting mental health, Sometimes we don't need to think about what we're doing for us. It's what we're doing to help others around us. So if we just look at what you've said there about your depression, was it a case of were you drinking? Was it drugs? Was it partying? What what was the situation at the time? Mine was pretty much, I one, I was not eating healthy. I just was just not taking care of myself. I spent McDonald's? most of the yes, yes. I yeah. ate a lot of McDonald's, <laughs> <laughs> and um, not only that, I was you know I would go out at night drinking all night. You know, my wife at the time, the kids would stay home, and I'd go out drinking, and that you know in my mind I was just having a good time. But no, I was so unhealthy, smoking cigarettes. You know, just not taking care of myself. You know, fast forward. You know, I had to take a break from alcohol because I wanted to make sure that part of that wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't an alcoholic. So I had to find that, can I drink? And because some people, I have friends of mine that they cannot have alcohol. And I'm not, unfortunately, I can still go out to an event, have a couple of drinks, but it doesn't take over my world. You know what I mean? I, 90% of what I do is making sure that I'm being healthy. So I can still enjoy different things. But yeah, in that depression... It was completely destroying my life because it was what I was self-medicating. I took pride in getting off the medication and then was self-medicating with alcohol and things like that. Now, when it comes to if I take any medication, it's if it's necessary. You know what I mean? If it has something to do with depression or if, you know, if I had a problem, you know, if I had low vitamin C or my body or whatever it is that people could end up taking medication for, I'm not anti-medication. But there is a you don't want to overdo it and take things that aren't necessary. I don't take anything for pain. You know, I feel like I can take care of myself and I live healthy. So those things are limited. So I'm not those things. I've met a lot of people that have been on a lot of medication. But once they got into better shape, less and less of that medication is necessary. If we look at the the rise which you went through, and and it was a dramatic rise. You know, it was a Mount Everest rise. Was there a was there a specific moment? Was there a series of moments? Was there a conversation which really put you on that path to saying, "I can find that purpose which is bigger than myself again." You know, I the be- the biggest thing that happened to me was when I mentioned to you about the reaction I had when I I looked at my children. And then when I tell people that story, I tell them that didn't fix it. I still made mistakes. But every time I screwed up and fell flat on my face, I would think back of my children. And that's what motivated me to get up, and keep moving. And for most people, you know, yes, they I came out of nowhere with the attention that I've gotten. But because, I mean, Dancing with the Stars is such a big show and brought me to the forefront of attention. But for me and my children. I, when I got back into taking care of myself, I got back in the gym, started exercising. I started building a name for myself locally, you know, getting into fitness. And then I started running races, Tough Mudder, Spartan, marathons. So I started gaining a following. I'd go to these races and I was a rock star. Everybody wanted to take their picture with me. Then it, you know, I was on the cover of Ben's Health. So boom, another big exposure. And then Ellen and then Dance with the Stars. So for me, it was gradual. I think that if I went on Dancing with the Stars a year earlier, it may have been too much for me. But because it was gradual for me, everything just fell into place. But to this day, I still have to remind myself to put my kids first. Don't get wrapped up in it. And I still turn things down today. I could have 
I could have a lot more attention. I could be making a lot more money. But attention and money, as great as they are, are not what drives me. It's my children. And so that started during my depression, realizing to put them first. And that's where I stay today. Were you sat in a like a jail cell or a prison cell and you were speaking to someone and yes. it sort of like clicked in your head and this is what sort of led you on a path? I, yes. So it was. this was, you know, one of the things that happened after I had that moment with my kids and I say I still screwed up. Yeah, I messed up and ended up spending 10 days in the county jail. And this county jail I was in was part of a federal prison that most of the guys I was in with were on their way to a higher security federal prison. So I was in there with some interesting men, to say the least. But me, being the person I am, never meet a stranger, I'm chatting with everybody. I want to hear their story. One guy, I mentioned this in my book, he said, what, are you writing a book or something? I said, I don't know, I might. (laughs) But one of the guys I talked to, uh, Antonio, we chatted for a long time. This was a man that his parents died when he was really young. He'd been in and out of juvenile detention facilities. Now here he is on his way back to prison. And I told him, I said, man, you've experienced things in life that can possibly affect other kids that could be going down that same path. Would you like to imagine meeting a child that could end up where you are today right now? And he was like, no, I wouldn't want that. So there was this positive conversation. But within myself, I realized I was not that far down the rabbit hole. I could still get out and and fix my life. So that was huge. And I'll tell you. The fact that you brought that up about two weeks ago, I was volunteering, you know, feeding some homeless and a guy in line goes, Noah Galloway. And, you know, my first thought was, well, he must have seen me somewhere. And I look at him. I said, you look really familiar. And he waited till he got right up to the to where the trays were. He leaned in and said, Shelby County. That was where we were. And I said, Antonio. And so after I was serving, I said, don't go nowhere. I want to talk to you. So I connected with him. And he was so excited to see me. He said, this was years after. He goes, Noah, what you what we talked about in the county affected me. And he was proud to tell me that he'd been clean now for nine months. He still made a lot of mistakes, but here he'd been clean for nine months. And he had this week, that week was him moving into his own apartment. And I got his contact info and I said, we're going to stay in contact. I want to take you to lunch. I want to hear how everything's going. And nothing made me feel better than to know that I had a positive impact on somebody and then to hear that this person is on their way to being a better person. That right there is when people ask me why I continue to do what I do, what drives me, you know, to continue to go to the gym and take care of myself. It's when these people reach out to me and see the positive. And so I need that, you know, cause then it's not just my kids. Cause one day my kids are going to move out, you know, and it's going to be me. So I you know, having these other people that I've affected, in a positive way is another driving force for me. Great story. And um, I I love the idea that, you know, your purpose, you know, is helping people, um, inspiring people. And something I heard you say before that I thought was incredibly, incredibly powerful. I just wanted to get your take on it. And if you could elaborate on it a bit is you said that, you know, a lot of people see you and they think you've been unlucky in life. Obviously you've, uh, your injuries, um, mm-hmm. your depression, but you say I've lived a life of luck, and you say yes. that people are often astounded by that. What yes. do you, what do you mean by that? So, like, because I've, I've especially around close friends, like I've said it before, I was like, man, I my entire life I've had the best luck, and they'll look at me, and they'll literally look at my arm, and my leg, and they're like, really? That's how you see it? And you know, it's funny, but I tell them honestly, I don't believe in luck. You know, I have. I've been a positive person my entire life. No matter what happens, I find some good in it. The light, the glass is half full. Or, you know, I remember the first time I heard the quote, and I was like, oh, I love that. That's how I live my life, that life is 10% of what happens to you, 90% how you react to it. And I think that is the best quote because that is, I know people, we all know that those people that have a great life but are just negative. Nothing is ever going their way. You know, when something bad happens to me, I feel like, well, something good's going to come out of it, but you have to find that. It's up to you. You know, you could put two people in the same room, and one can look at the room and say, this is a beautiful room. And the other one's like, this is the ugliest room I've ever seen in my life. This is, I'm cramped. I'm ready to get out of here. It's how you view it that makes life good or bad. 
What processes do you use when a negative outcome happens for you to turn a negative event into a positive one? Is it self-talk? Is it gratitude? What do you use? You know, I think it's it's a little of everything. Like, yeah, I have my moments where something will make me mad, upset me. I think, well, could it get any worse? What is going on with this particular situation? And sometimes taking a step back. You know, I mentioned that, you know, when it comes to my kids, when it when 9-11 happened, taking a step back and not reacting to emotion is where I think the big difference comes. And being able to step back and say, okay, wait a minute, before I get too stressed over this, a lot of this problem is caused by me. How am I going to fix it? Because most things that happen, like, yeah, now there are people who can be mistreated and they didn't deserve it. No, that happens. But a lot of times when think something bad happens, if we really look at it, there's no one really to blame but ourselves. And it's up to us to correct that. And if there are things that happen that aren't something we caused, well, what can we do to either fix that, um, make sure it doesn't happen again to us or someone else, or to just get away from it? So it is not an issue anymore. So I think it's just taking a step back, self-reflection, and then designing a plan to correct it and try to not let it happen again. I think that's where a lot of people, we we all do it. I do it sometimes, but reacting off emotion is the worst thing we can do. One thing which you talked about, which I've, since we've been prepping for this, I've actually thought about this for a while. And... It's this theory which I, I think you've created. It's called Al Bundy Theory. Oh, yes, you've done your homework. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when, when I hear this, I think the basic premise behind it is that it's about divorcing yourself from the past. It's about always progressing with your life. So, yes. Yeah, can I, can I go into that? Please, please jump in. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, so for people that are listening that don't know what I have coined as the Al Bundy effect, I always tell people, you know, if you're, old enough to remember or, or at least seen the um the reruns of uh married with children where the character al bundy is this miserable man with these crazy kids uh, very you know uh, strange wife um but he's miserable he's a, a he sells shoes for a living and the only time he gets excited is when he talks about scoring four touchdowns in a single football game in high school you know and this is a comedy series from the 80s but that that made me think this man is living in the past and that's the only place he is happy and that goes back to where i tell veterans be proud of what you've done in the past but don't live in it don't live in it you know it's a chapter life is a bunch of chapters and so you want to move on to the next chapter when something changes in my life i realize okay there's an end of a chapter what's the next one because one day no one's going to want to interview me anymore. You know, nobody's going to care who I am. And that's okay. You know, as long as I'm prepared to start the next chapter in my life. I, I refuse to ever live in the past. How, how do you do it then? How does somebody, say, divorce the past and marry the future? What is the process? I think that, you know, I, I don't let it take over my world. You know, I, I don't want it to be the only thing. Like... You know, I know that I'm known as, you know, an injured veteran from Iraq because of my injuries were so extreme, you know, and I'm proud to be called a veteran. But I also know that there are a lot of people that when they see me, they're excited to talk about Dancing with the Stars. I'm the guy that was on Dancing with the Stars or I'm the guy that was on the cover of Men's Health or I'm the guy who just gave a speech and inspired somebody to improve their life. So then I'm not just the veteran. I'm not just the injured veteran. I'm a guy that is just trying to be the best person I can be and try to spread that same love and inspiration to as many people as I can. On that idea then of the future, um, obviously throughout your life you've been drawn to challenges, whether it be the military, mental health, or whether I'm watching you do 20 push-ups in 20 seconds on Ellen. <laughs> in where you are now in life, what what challenges are you, are you looking at? What challenges interest you at this point? Well, you know, right now it's, it's a lot of focus on, I mean, I stay very busy with work. I travel all over doing speeches. You know, I'll do book signings, meet and greets, different things like that. But my children, you know, right now at their age, I'm at this point in their life now where they're 9, 11 and 14. So they're going through changes of their own. And I'm trying to be as, as observant of what's happened and also being there for them as much as I can. So 
that is where I'm at. But then also trying to balance between that and work and also trying to take care of being uh, myself, my own health and fitness. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I have an entire team that works with me and we have a lot of different discussions on what's coming up in the future, going this direction, going to that direction. Thankfully, I'm still in a place where opportunities keep popping up. So, you know, I think that when it comes to the future, I'm prepared for my 15 minutes to run out. And I feel like if you're always prepared for it, Dan, then it's not a shock when it happens. Uh, so right now I am, I don't want to say living in the moment because I have things planned out, you know, for the next several months or a couple of years, but I'm just trying to make sure that I'm, I'm allowing myself to be present in the moment, whether it's with work, with an interview like this, or with my children, that I am present in what's going on right now. That's what, that's been my main focus, you know, the last several months, because with the kids at their age, there are, there are changes that. Uh, are happening and I want my boys and my little girl to be comfortable talking with me about it and what's going on. Cause you know, you got kids that are now suddenly they got boyfriends and girlfriends and things like that. And as a father, that can be kind of stressful, especially with my daughter who's only nine and has a boyfriend. It's like, well, why do you have a boyfriend? That right now has been my biggest issue that I'm stressing about. If you want to be honest, <laughs> <laughs> you strike me as a hugely, goal-oriented person and i read a statistic the other day that said that only three percent of the world's population have written down goals in some in some format Mm -hmm. so i i I think this is is a huge huge problem if someone isn't even writing down their goals no i agree yeah you know, so what would you say is the first step? So someone they've got a big vision. What can they do to to go and get? Is it breaking down into into smaller steps? What what what? Yeah, you know, I'm glad you said that because I use a lot of analogies from fitness, even when I talk to people in the business world. Because, for example, it's easy to see someone who has not exercised in 20 years decide they want to better themselves. They want to eat better. They want to work out. Well, then they they start this extreme diet and then they go in the gym and they get a trainer or they follow some routine and they go, they go hard. Well, then what happens is they burn out because it's very intense. It's very extreme. And people too often, you don't go 20 years of eating McDonald's and think that in 20 days, you're going to get rid of that. You know what? It takes time and we're all guilty of it. We want to be satisfied immediately, instant gratification, but it takes time. And in the, and in life, when you have goals, it is taking those little steps, not going too extreme. What am I doing first? One of my goals in the future outside of the attention I'm getting, I come from a family of educators. My older sister has her, her PhD in child education. She's a professor at a, UA, at a university. My youngest sister is a special ed teacher. And I see myself finding, I'll end up in the classroom one day. And, and one of the things I prepare to do to make that happen is I've got to finish my school. I have to get back in into school and, and, and get that degree and then be prepared uh, for what I want to do. Cause I love working with students, um, especially making a big impact on those that um, like myself in school, didn't enjoy it. <laughs> and my older sister always tells me that most teachers were the teacher's pet. They don't understand people like me that hated school. And that's why she wants me to be a teacher. And I see that in my future, whether it's, you know, in 10 years or in 30 years, and I'm just an old man that's in the classroom, that is what I see a goal in my life. In order to make that happen, I can start doing things now to prepare that. If I started playing Deliverance by Bubba Sparks, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> would you I'll start? I'll be ready to go to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> what, what impact did that song have on your life? You know, it's, you know, that's one of those songs that I, you know, I wish I could say that the, just the words were so impactful. No, it's just the music, you know, and I am a, I love music. And I always tell people that like, I have my playlist for my workouts when I go to the gym and I even have a rule that I never listen to those songs outside of my training because I don't want to wear them out. Now I'll listen the closest I'll get to listen to those playlists or that song by Bubba Sparks is on my way to the gym. I'll play the playlist on the way to the gym. I listen to it there. But when I'm not working out or on the way to working out, 
I won't listen to it because I don't, you know, they say that if you ever use a song on your phone as an alarm, you'll end up hating that song. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I, I use that as a, I use music as something to key up my emotions and put myself in the right mindset to be ready for whatever's about to happen. You know, we did that in the military. You're, you're getting all your stuff together to go do a raid or some mission. Well, then you're, you may be listening to some pretty intense, hardcore music that gets you in that zone. So I do that. And yeah, that song by Bubba Sparks, just the beat, everything about it is one of those songs that gets me in the mood to just go out there and, and get after it. Just going to ask whether that was from the military, because I was drawing comparisons in my mind because I was watching a Brazilian jiu-jitsu documentary on YouTube. And it's the just a complete elite fighters in the world, the best. Yeah. And some of them, just before they go out, they just listen to, say, like 15 to 30 seconds of a song just yeah, before they it, fight, just because it puts them in their zone. So is music that, that for you, and is that how it oh, happened yes. in the army too? Yes, it did. You know, because um, that because I, you know, I can't say it for a fact because I don't remember the explosion, but I was somewhere the other day and there's a Waylon Jennings song, country music song that actually comes from a, a TV show that uh, when I was a kid that was popular called Dukes of Hazard, And there's a song from Dukes of Hazard, you know, called uh, Good Old Boys, just, you know, just a good old boys doing and. It's, you know, this and they're driving around this car, ramping things. And if I was driving that Humvee, there's a good possibility that I had in my left ear, my ear pod that was playing that music. I use music for everything. I have music that if I'm trying to get to sleep, I'll turn on my Bluetooth and I have a playlist that is a lot more toned down music. I use music for a lot. I'm a big fan of music and it does. It puts you in the right mindset of what you're doing. This is something that we've noticed on the show, interviewing a lot of peak performers, where they have these different triggers that put themselves in the in the right mind frame. When you just look back at, say, your time during battle and during conflict, what was the emotional triggers for you that would put you in that, that mind frame where you were just willing to do anything anything you know all right so as crazy as this is going to sound i being in combat is like being in a movie you know it's it's just it's live action and you honestly you envision yourself as a character in this movie and it's exciting because i remember there being a day in iraq where it was around christmas time and we're about to go on a mission and i'm walking and one of the guys looks at me and is like why are you so happy? We live in hell. And I looked at him. I said, because most people can't do what we do. The most, the closest they'll get to this is watching a movie at the theaters. We are living it every day. And for me, I love that. So that was the mindset I was in. And what's interesting about that is after I was injured, a good friend of mine that we were in the same company in Iraq, his name's Tony. About a year after I was injured, we got together and we were talking. And we'd never discussed that mindset of imagining it's like a movie. I, I thought no one else thought like that. Well, then Tony said, Noah, um, the way I viewed combat was like we were in a movie and certain characters nothing ever happened to. And he said that when I got hurt was the first day that he got scared because he realized, wow, we're all up for grabs. Because he, he saw me as one of the characters in a movie that stays to the end. And I thought it was so interesting that he viewed it the same way I did. You kind of put yourself in this imaginary place of being in a movie, which is probably kind of crazy because um, then you meet people who have been in movies. And they said they have to remind themselves that this isn't real and I probably wouldn't want to experience it in real life. And here I was in it pretending I was Mark Wahlberg in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and even though, like, even though you're pretending, like you said, you're in a movie, you're obviously, you're a man, you've obviously stayed death in the face and pretty much told it to fuck off. So, and it's exciting. It's exciting. There is, there is a moment I had on the roof, a three story roof building overlooking a village. And I stood on that roof without my Kevlar on, without my vest on, you know, and I just stood there overlooking with this arrogance, you know what I mean? This masculine moment of thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you having that moment. You know, it's, Oh, it was so powerful. It, it, it felt incredible. And that's, 
I feel like that's what you live for, those moments, man or woman, just just the the empowerment that you you are in control. When you when you look back on everything now, everything that's happened, every little event that's that's led on to something else to where you are um in your life and career now, do you regret anything or are you happy with the way things have things have materialized? I mean, I can't lie and say there aren't things in my past that I'm like, man, maybe I should have done this. Maybe I should have done that. But I also don't live with any regrets because I always tell people if I I'd love to still be in the military, I'd love to still have my arm and leg. But if I hadn't have been injured, if I had gone through my depression, I wouldn't be the man I am today. And I wouldn't have the relationship I have with my kids today. So, yeah, I cannot regret anything. But do I learn from things? Yes. That's that's I think is what's most important. We cannot change the past. You know what I mean? There are no time machines. We can't go back, fix anything. But what we can do what we can control is whether or not we learn from our mistakes. We had uh, Dr. B.J. Miller on the podcast and he has a story in, in some ways similar to yours. He was climbing on a a railway track and um he ended up losing three limbs i believe we asked him we said the same question we said you know do you regret it and he said no i don't regret it because patients now they relate to me so much more mm-hmm. and i said to him i said did this lead you to a call in and he said no he said i don't think that we find meaning. I think that we create meaning. Create, oh, that is amazing. I love that. And, no, and, I think, and yeah. do you think that you've created that meaning in your life too? Yes. And that's why like, I love just hearing that he said it like that. That is perfect because I do. You know, I mean, I don't want to be that. I hate to be that person that, you know, when other people tell me that there's, there's a reason for everything, I don't argue with them. But in my mind, no, we create it. You know, we, can, we create the world we live in and how we view it and how we react to it. So I don't believe in, I don't believe that everything's lined up to happen in a reason because one change and we go a different direction in life and we decide where it takes us and how we're going to react to it and what path we're going to take. That's how I feel about life. And I feel like having that mindset uh, is what helps get me by day to day. Cause I'm like, you know what? Cause I always tell people that when I was asked one time, if I was mad that this happened to me, that I was injured, and I'm like, you know, I wasn't forced into the military. 9-11, I went in the military on my own decision. I went to Iraq the first time. I re-enlisted, chose to go back the second time, and I chose to be in the vehicle the night I was hit. So I put myself in every situation. So no, while if, why would I be mad at anybody? The only person I can be mad at is myself. And then I have to think back, well, why did I make those decisions? And I feel like I made those decisions for the right reasons. So no, I don't regret anything. What work are you doing or have done now with vets? Because I know I listened to an interview with yourself and you talked about that this is another major source of meaning for you, which you've created for yourself too. Yeah, well, you know, just like when you said that now that doctor relates better to the patients, I, you know, I love to go to hospitals and talk with people that have been injured, had amputations, but being a veteran and the experiences I've had and being so open about my experiences, I love that I can share that with whether it's active duty military or those who are just now transitioning or even older veterans, just sharing my story and my my vision, my view of the world and and helping those that may need a little a little more coping, a little more, especially when it comes to younger veterans, because it's good to meet people who have been there, done that. And now I'm getting that experience because I meet people today now that are in the military and I look at them like, are you even old enough? You know what I mean? But then I, I remember I'm not as young as I used to be. So there's this whole other group of people that are coming through. And I love that I can talk to them and, and and give them advice on experiences they may have or how to react to them and not let them bring them, bring them down. There, there's a major, major lesson which Lewis and I and, and our listeners will have definitely taken away from the podcast. And that's living for something bigger than yourself. Yes. And what you just talked about, but they it sort of made me think, I mean, we get asked a lot, what can we do to, to be happy if we're depressed? And just as you said, but there, it's, if you can't be happy yourself, then go and make someone else happy. 
as you're talking about but there with when you're you're going back and you're talking to other people if you say look at when you were depressed compared to when you do those things and you create that meaning then it gives your life an entirely different dimension you know yes. I, I i so i just love how you've created that meaning in your life that well i appreciate you saying that you know it's like as you're saying that i was there was you know something that I think a lot of people have had their mothers or grandmothers or someone tell them the greatest gift you can receive is one that you give to someone else. That may be a quote from somebody that I should know who said it, but I'm sure most of us have heard that or a, a version of that. And I think that it is a hundred percent true when you give yourself or something to someone else, nothing is more pleasurable. People ask us, how is this? And when someone looks back, we're social animals we're designed to help each other because it helped us to survive so this is why whenever someone asks us i would say that you know the the most unhappiest people i see are the ones which they just try to live for themselves they themselves everyone else yes. out they just just narrow in on just what suits them you know what you mentioned you know the animals and and you know i love to tell a story i i um you know, because of the way I work, I get real busy. Like this time of year, I'm traveling a lot in and out of time, town, making sure I'm spending time with the kids and working. But then during the holidays, everything slows down and that stresses, that'll stress me out. And I remember one year, it, you know, I was, I thought I was convinced it's over. My 15 minutes is up. I've not done enough to prepare for the next chapter. What am I going to do? I mean, I was really worried. And then one day me and my son, my middle son, Jack, were sitting together in this in this big recliner watching this special on, I think it was Animal Planet, called The Savage Kingdom. And these, you know, these these photographers, these producers followed these this lion tribe for so long that you they had names for them and you're just watching it. And I'm sitting there with my son, we're watching, it was very good. But then I look at him and I realize I have my own tribe, my own pride that I have to take care of. And just like when I was injured and in my depression and I found a way, even missing arm and leg to make that happen, I will continue to do that. So even if this life that I've gotten accustomed to changes, I will find another thing to get me through because I will do whatever it takes to make sure that my pride, my children are taken care of. And that was just a reminder that, yeah, I am living for them. And that is what gets me by day to day. That's a absolutely beautiful story. I think that you know sums up everything everything we've we've talked about today and, and brings this to a, a perfect cadence. And and before I let you go, I just want to ask three quick questions that we ask all our guests. And the first one is: you are obviously an author yourself, and your book is you know is undoubtedly going to impact so many people's lives. Um, and I was wondering, are you a reader and have you ever read any book that has had an impact on your life? Um, yeah. So my book, you know, when I did it, Living With No Excuses, I I do like to read, but I'm not a writer. I hired a good friend of mine, Rebecca, to help me do it. And we went through that book and we, we wrote it together. And one of the things about it, I talk a lot about my depression very openly and honestly. And I thought people were going to hate it. But I've gotten such a positive response. Just the other day, I got a message on Instagram from a veteran that said it, it, it made such an impact on him. He related to it so well and it helped him. And, he, you know, it, it made me feel so good that he said that. Now, when it comes to me, I love books. Now, I'm an audiobook guy. I love audiobooks. Malcolm Gladwell is probably my favorite author. But right now, I'm, like, I'm working on a book called The Habit. And, you know, just things like that. I love books that are going to help me think of things in a different way because I don't have it all figured out. None of us do. And I'm always open to seeing other points of view and what we can do to better ourselves. Um, so not exactly saying like self-help books. I like books that I'm learning from, but make me think that get me thinking, you know, because if I'm driving and listening to music, well, I'm you know, I'm fantasizing. I'm on stage, you know, playing the guitar in front of thousands of people, you know, but if I've got, if I'm going somewhere to give a speech or to do something else or just, you know, put my mindset in a different place, I love audiobooks. And because of that, when I did my book, I told the publishing company the first day I met with them, I said, I'm doing my own audiobook. And they said, okay. 
And that was something I was very proud of doing because I've always enjoyed hearing the actual author do their own book. They don't have to be this amazing speaker. I want to hear from the author. And that's what I did with that. And so, yeah, right. I wish I could remember the author of the book, The Habit, that I'm listening to. But the other one is there's a book by Sebastian Younger called The Tribe. And I, I, I tell people all the time to look into that book because it is such an insightful book of just how we are as people. Are there any societal rules which you love to break? Oh, I don't know. Because I'm definitely, I don't want to come off like I'm some rule follower. I do kind of go by the beat of my own drum all too often, but not in a, in a horrible way. Um, always put my best foot forward and be as, when I go out, you know, I always tell people that, you know, just smiling, not only does it bring your mood up, but it'll definitely help in the, help you, those around you and to not react to emotions and get mad all the time so the last one is um obviously you've been through a lot in your life um a lot of events you've learned a lot of lessons if someone came to you and and gave you the opportunity to to broadcast just one short message and every single person in the world would hear your message what would your message be i think my message would be that life is too short to wait on anything you want to accomplish or do in life or those that you care about. And, you know, you always hear, you should always tell those around you, you love them because, um, we always end up that, uh, that, that day passes and then that you can't take it back. But so life's too short to not take advantage of things, but then life is too long to stress out about little things. We all do it. We let little things bother us. You sit in traffic, someone will cut you off and you get mad, but you got to remember, We've all accidentally cut somebody off or maybe they're in a hurry. You know what I mean? And they're not wanting to be rude. They're trying to get to where they're going. You know, that's just an example. But all too often, we let little things not only make us mad, but let that anger ruin our entire day. And it's not worth it. It is not worth it. And it's like, hey, enjoy life. This is this is all we've got. You know what I mean? This is it. And we can all we can do is make the best of it for ourselves and for our other you know, everyone else on this planet. And I feel like that's what we need to be doing. We need to be taking care of uh, ourselves and those around us because this is what living life is about, enjoying life. Where can our audience connect with you, Noah? I am on uh, social media. I'm on Instagram, Noah Galloway Athlete. I've All my accounts are certified. Twitter is Noah underscore Galloway and Facebook is Noah Galloway and I'm on noahgalloway.com is my website. You can find all my social media from there. I have, you know, my clothing line with no excuses, you know, living with no excuses, apparel that I'm proud of. And, and it's, I always get excited when I go somewhere and see somebody wearing my shirt or my hat. Um, but yeah, that's where you can connect to my social media and what's going on and what I'm doing. Amazing. Lewis and I would like to say, firstly, thank you for serving and for the work which you do thank you so much and we admire everything that you do and secondly thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and tackle these difficult conversations with such authenticity well no thank you so much for reaching out to me and and, and allowing me to come on and share my story i've thoroughly enjoyed talking to both of y'all